You're listening to the Recoveredish Podcast. I'm your host, licensed therapist, Amanda E. White. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. So today I am venturing into a topic that may come back to bite me in the ass because I haven't seen in a while the intensity of reactions over if Jonah Hill's ex released text messages between them and there has been so much intensity and fighting on all sides. So if you know me and you listen to this podcast, you probably know that I don't have super hot takes on many things because most of my answer to things is it depends. I think the context really, really matters. I understand why people are frustrated at her timing for releasing the text when Jonah Hill's wife or girlfriend just gave birth two months ago. Know that he struggles with his mental health. I'm sure this is not helpful for him. I'm assuming Sarah struggles with her mental health and was really impacted negatively by what happened between the two of them. I'm not going to go into why she did it, whether she should or shouldn't have done it, whether he's abusive, whether he's a narcissist, any of that stuff, because I don't think we have enough information. I think that it's probably a lot more complicated of a situation than we know, and people are very intensely picking sides. And instead, what I actually want to talk about is a broader topic, which is how therapy speak is impacting us as a society and how social media is impacting us with the increase in therapists and psychological terms that are being thrown around online. And I also am going to spend a lot of time in this episode talking about boundaries because I think a lot of people are confused about what boundaries are and that is leading to some of these really intense conversations on both sides. I don't know. Like I said, maybe this episode will come back and I will regret doing this. And I want to be clear that I'm not taking one side or another. I am the biggest believer in nuance and this is absolutely no exception. So you're not going to hear me diagnosing Jonah Hill or his ex Sarah or any of that stuff. But I do think this conversation is important because it's a broader conversation about what the situation I think can teach us about boundaries and therapy speak. Um, So let's get into it. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, Jonah Hill's ex, Sarah Brady, who is a surfer, released screenshots of text messages between them. It has been escalating a lot. People are yelling for him to be canceled. People are yelling at her to be canceled. People are mad she released them. People are mad at him for doing it. And again, I'm not going to get into, to me, like whether she should have released the text messages or not is a separate issue. And it's not one that I feel like I have enough context or understanding to comment on. But I I think these text messages are concerning. I think that you can have good intentions even. Like that I think is what's interesting about this that I haven't seen a lot of people talking about is I have seen Jonah Hill's documentary on studs. I thought it was well done. Thought it was interesting. Clearly has struggled with his weight struggled with his mental health. I very much supported him and thought it was great when he, a couple months ago, came out and said he really wants people to stop commenting on his body and his weight. I was bravo. I. That being said, I think that people can get confused about what a boundary is, especially on social media. And someone I um, threaded, because now I'm on threads, I, th- I threaded about it and shared it on Instagram I said that I think it's a really good example of how people can use quote unquote boundaries to control people. 
And one person was very upset in my comments and was saying, I'm so angry about this. I'm so over these people saying everyone needs to have boundaries. But then when people do boundaries a different way, people are upset and this is BS and I'm over the woke bullshit of it and all of that. And I think what's really missing, and it's why I try to talk so much on Instagram, though it can get lost in the shuffle, I'm sure, about the importance of nuance and the importance of context. And I think that is what is so hard about therapy speak and therapists being on social media. And obviously I am very much a part of this. I'm not saying that I am better than anyone else. And it's really hard when your words are taken out of context or the algorithm prioritizes a very simple statement when most things in life are really messy and nuanced. And the context of things matters so much. I'm working on a whole episode for you all just about how we can break free from black and white thinking and embrace nuance. Because I think that it has gotten so much harder to embrace with social media. And with that person, I agree with what that person is saying. I think if I wasn't a therapist, I would potentially get confused too. Because you scroll through certain things on Instagram and it says, you don't know anyone anything. And no is a complete sentence. And then you scroll through other things and it's like, don't set boundaries like that. You know, I think it's hard when it's like, set boundaries, set really firm boundaries. But no, not like that. I can understand why someone would be confused and frustrated. And I think part of it is that there are a lot of people on Instagram who are not qualified therapists, who are coaches or they are in therapy themselves and they're sharing things that they learned. And I think people get confused between who is a licensed qualified professional and who is someone who is just sharing their experience. They deemed themselves an expert and they don't fully understand the nuance. Or, I mean, there also are licensed professionals who I don't agree with who share things that I'm like, eh, this isn't it. So I just want to say I have a lot of compassion for all sides of this. That is part of why I started a podcast because I think as a therapist, I know that therapy is extremely specific, extremely nuanced, extremely relational. And what I mean by that is that I say certain things to clients in session that I would never say to other clients in session because everything I say in our dynamic is so specific. It's based on what they're working on, what our relationship is, what their strengths are, what their drawbacks are, what our history is. So I know whether I can push or I should pull back and what is helpful for them or what might not be helpful for them. And that's what's so hard is when you're on social media, you can say something that you think is really helpful, right? You're speaking to the masses And I have no idea whether it's actually helpful for them to hear what I'm saying. I think that's what's just so challenging about being on social media and therapy speak. The good part is people are understanding terms more. Therapy is becoming more accessible. It's becoming less stigmatized. More people are, I think, using tools. And the whole point that I think a lot of us therapists got on social media was because we were A, sick of seeing bachelorette contestants throwing up a blog and talking about how to live your best life and shelling out advice that we didn't agree with. And B, feeling like, well, I have all this knowledge. It's pretty obvious to me, but it may help someone else who can't afford therapy or doesn't have access to seeing someone. But again, not all 
tools are universal. And even the skill of discretion is so hard because unless you're in therapy, I think that's a really hard skill to know. And it's a hard skill to teach online, to teach people how to discern between what applies to them and what doesn't. So a lot of therapists, myself included, have tried over the past few years, put in PSAs to say, this doesn't apply to everyone. This doesn't apply to abuse. This doesn't apply to a certain portion of the population. It's really interesting. I have this because I've been on Instagram so long and I've seen the comments that come in. A lot of times I I can almost predict what people are going to say. So I can preemptively be like, this doesn't apply to abuse. This doesn't apply to, you know, if I'm speaking about alcohol or whatever, right? Like this doesn't apply to you if you don't have a problem with alcohol. This doesn't apply to you if you maybe are neurodivergent, but I don't have the time or the space to go through every single caveat and exception of who this does or doesn't apply to. So instead, what I think a lot of us have been trying to teach is teaching people how to discern for themselves, but it's really hard. It's really hard to discern what should apply to you and what shouldn't. And that is why therapy is so different than social media therapy. A good way to explain it is that often Instagram therapy or social media therapy is kind of like scrolling on WebMD. You can convince yourself that you have a ton of disorders. You can think you have cancer. You can think you're you're having an aneurysm. You can think that you have an infectious disease that's raging your body. And you can think all these things apply to you. And until you go see a doctor, the doctor that will be able to really teach that discretion. It's not always about the knowledge that's available. It's about the doctor is highly trained and seen thousands of patients and can discern what applies to you, what doesn't, and why just because you have these symptoms doesn't mean you have cancer. It could mean that you have something else. So I think that's the best analogy I can give with therapy. And it is literally part of my job now where I have clients that come into me and say, oh my God, I saw this on Instagram. For an example, I'll make one up. I saw that someone told me that I should never explain myself when I'm setting a boundary and back this up and I can create some context. If this client of mine is someone who is an over-explainer, they're always over-explaining themselves to people. I could see when it may be helpful to tell someone you don't have to explain yourself because they're so far on one side of the spectrum, I'm not even worried about them overcorrecting. However, if you have someone doesn't explain themselves very much, or maybe they have overcorrected, or maybe they really believe they don't owe anyone anything or any explanation, then if someone came to me and said that, I would be like, no, I think that it's helpful for you to explain something, especially if you're explaining something to your significant other or your partner or your family or your friends. It really frustrates me when I see stuff like that because yes, no can be a complete sentence, but regardless of what is right and what is wrong, what is helpful? What is a Effective. That is what I care about when I am meeting with clients and when I'm trying to help all of you. Maybe it is right. I mean, who knows what right and wrong is, right? It's all subjective. But maybe you believe it's quote unquote right that you don't ever owe anyone an explanation. But if you live your life like that, it is unhelpful because if you live your life around your partner, around close people in your life, like I don't owe you anything, those relationships are not gonna flourish because the whole point of a relationship is you are moving towards each other, you are supporting each other. There's gonna be compromise, mutual support. There's gonna be mutual understanding in a healthy relationship. And if one person comes from the place of I don't owe you anything, 
it is not going to set the other person up to feel like they owe you anything either. Part of what really makes relationships work and part of what builds trust is that you believe in someone's genuineness, that they enjoy spending time with you, that they have good intentions and you don't have to interact with them like a stranger. So I think what's really hard is that people see different concepts and ideas and because of the algorithm, time is money. Our attention is what advertisers profit off of and that as a result is what the algorithm promotes. A lot of times really simple, really clickbaity content is what performs really, really well online. And as a result, that is the majority of what people see online. And even the amount of followers someone has directly correlates with people thinking that they are more legit or they are more experienced or they are better because of how we're conditioned in this social media world. So people who have fairly extreme takes, people who are good at dealing with provoking extreme reactions are the people that are typically the most successful. So as a result, we see these really clickbaity, limited therapy speak content that does really well a lot of times. And if you go on there and you say, well, I think this is nuanced. I think that's nuanced. I think we don't know. That's not really interesting. People aren't going to argue with you and your content isn't going to do as well. So I get why some of the people in my comments are genuinely confused and are like, I don't understand. People tell me to set really firm boundaries. People tell me no is a complete sentence. But then I see examples of boundaries and people are like, set boundaries, but no, not like that. And so my whole point of this episode is I want to go back to basics and I want to really explain to you what boundaries are, what some of the nuances are. And it is why if you ever look at my boundary content on Instagram, I try to go into caveat to a lot of my boundaries. People accuse me of being wordy because I don't just say that no is a complete sentence and that's how you can set a boundary. A lot of my boundary setting examples are multiple sentences because it really depends. I'm using this Jonah Hill example as a springboard to talk about that. A boundary, it is a limit or guideline that you identify yourself. It's an internal limit or guideline that allows you to kind of decide what is appropriate or safe for you. So the biggest issue right off the bat with the Jonah Hill boundary situation is that all of these quote unquote boundaries he's setting are actually about her and what she can do or not do. The helpful way to understand boundaries is to physicalize it as a metaphor. So boundary is going to be a fence that you put around the perimeter of your property. So it prevents people from walking on your grass. It may prevent people from coming over to your house if you have a fence with a gate sort of situation, but a boundary or that fence is not punishing someone who's walking by but it's also not telling anyone else what they're going to do on their property. And that I think is really what is missing with these text messages. If you are telling someone what they can do with their body, what they can wear, who they can be friends with, what their profession can be, what they can post online, those are all about them, not about you. I know it is more complicated when you're in a romantic relationship, but to bring this metaphor back, your fence just surrounds your property. That doesn't mean that you're going over to other people's properties and telling them what they can display or what they can put out. Healthy boundaries can also be molded and changed and shaped. They're not just 
rigid, yes or no, no wiggle room sort of situation, which also came up in these text messages. Instead, what I would say, that wasn't a boundary, that was a demand. So I wanna also break down quickly what the difference is between boundaries, demands, and requests. A boundary, it's a guideline or a limit about what is acceptable for you. A demand is a statement that something must be done, it is a negotiation, it's a limit or a rule on that other person. It's also often based on trying to control or limit someone else. In this example, Jonah Hill was definitely trying to limit what his girlfriend was doing, what she was wearing, all sorts of things. And while I think you can, we don't know the full context. Again, these are just text messages. We don't know if they had conversations around this. In general, saying no to a demand is not acceptable. There is no room for negotiation or compromise at all. And a big thing I talk about a lot is how healthy relationships with someone are going to involve boundary negotiation and compromise. A lot of times people will ask me, how do I set a boundary? with my significant other that I don't want to go out to eat or I'm like really overwhelmed. I need time for myself. I need alone time. And often when I give an example, it'll look like, hey, I'm feeling overwhelmed from the work week. I need some time to decompress. Instead of going out tonight, can we go out tomorrow night? And people will get frustrated with me and say, that's not a boundary. That is, you know, compromising. You shouldn't have to compromise your boundaries. And in unhealthy situations, yeah, you may not be able to. You may have to hold up really firm, rigid boundaries. But in a healthy relationship, you are gonna negotiate, you are gonna compromise because there are two people whose boundaries are trying to work together. And it, it's tricky, I get why it's confusing, right? Because he he is saying like, if these don't work for you, I'm not the right person for you. If you can't not wear bathing suits, all of these things, then that's my boundary and I can't be with you. Which he has a right to, it's not a boundary, but he does have a right to say these things don't work for me. And I agree with that. We shouldn't be in relationships that don't work for us. He has a right to say, I can't date a professional surfer. The bigger issue is that oftentimes when we get into these relationships, someone will knowingly choose to be with us. And then later in the relationship, when someone gets insecure or frustrated, they say, well, these are my boundaries and you can't do this anymore and you have to change or we're done. And what is confusing is that that person dated you when they knew what your profession was. They dated you based on knowing what you displayed online and stuff like that. Can you change your mind and decide things don't work for you? Yes, absolutely. But that isn't a boundary. And that is my point. Again, I don't want to go into who's right, who's wrong. I think there's so much context missing. But I mean, in the best case scenario, it would be someone saying, look, I'm a lot more insecure lately. It's really hard for me to deal with like your profession or your relationships with other people or what you wear and... Can you help compromise with me so we can find something that works for both of us? In not the best case scenario, but still not misusing the word boundary, it may look like him saying, these things don't work for me and we need to talk about this and I've changed my mind. But in this situation, it was very much framed because the word boundary nowadays is so framed as like a healthy thing that you're doing for yourself, you're advocating for yourself. It can make the person on the other end of this receiving message feel really bad and feel shame about themselves because they're quote unquote violating a boundary that number one isn't a boundary and number two, you never communicate it. So I'm gonna read some of the text and break them down a little bit. So 
according to the screenshots and that I'm only going to use first screenshot. There were a lot of other screenshots and other conversations that have happened. And I'm not going to get into that because what I care about is the misuse of the word boundaries and how I think that this conversation could have been handled differently because everyone does have a right to say what works for them in a relationship. The issue is that this isn't a boundary. This is a demand. And this is something that should have been communicated in a different way. So some of the boundaries are surfing with men. His girlfriend at the time, she is a professional surfer. So that would be like saying if you need to do your job with your male coworkers, that's not a boundary. You can't tell someone that they can't do their job with male coworkers. That's just trying to control them. You could say that you don't feel comfortable with them being around um, male coworkers, but that's not your boundary. Your boundary is about what you feel comfortable doing, right? You can say the limit for yourself, but you can't set a boundary for someone else. That is a boundary she would have to decide and set for herself. And he says, boundaryless, inappropriate friendships with men. Boundaries need to be clear. We need to understand also whether someone is following our boundary or not. We don't know. Again, maybe there is context here that they had talked about this and maybe like her friendships weren't something that clearly Jonah was comfortable with and that's something they need to talk about. But a boundary is not, you can't be friends with this person. A boundary is, I'm not gonna be friends <laughs> with this person. And the negotiation might be, I don't feel comfortable when you hang out with this person or or whatever, but that's not setting a boundary. That is you having a conversation and you making a request of someone and then they have the option to say yes or no. I mean, I think he was trying to, he says, if you can't do this, I'm not the right partner for you. But I think that is what's so confusing about this is he's saying, these are my boundaries. And instead it should have been something like, this is what I need in a partner. If you can't do that, then that's fine. He also talks about her modeling and posting pictures of herself in a bathing suit and posting sexual pictures. Again, it's not a boundary to say what someone else does with their body. You can say you can't be with someone like that, but that's not a boundary. The final one was if she needs friendships with women who are in unstable places from your wild recent past beyond getting lunch or coffee or something respectful. Um, I don't love the word respectful there. It feels very condescending. And also why would her having friends with people be disrespectful? I don't know. Someone can say this. Someone can believe in having this limited of a relationship with someone, but that person needs to agree to it. And what's really hard is when someone dated someone initially knowing that they're a surfer, that he saw what her Instagram looked like and then later has changed his mind and there's no acknowledgement that his mind has changed or he feels insecure or this is something that he now needs. It's all framed as you have violated my boundaries by doing these things. And what concerns me is just boundaries are seen as this inherent positive thing, as this really good thing that we're doing to take care of ourselves and protect ourselves. But when we're trying to use this word to control other people or make people do what we want, even if these rules that he needed were less intense, that doesn't mean that they're a boundary either. So there are six types of boundaries. There are material boundaries, mental boundaries, physical boundaries, sexual boundaries, temporal boundaries, and emotional boundaries. And they're all about you. They're not about someone else. So you can't say what someone else can do with their body 
you can't set a physical boundary for someone else, but you can say, right, my boundary is like that I don't shake hands with people when I first meet them, or I'm not a hugger. That's my physical boundary. And I think it also can get confusing because people, when they merge and they become a couple, I think people can sometimes forget that they're still independent people with their own boundaries. And just because you have agreements between each other, you can have agreements, but that doesn't make it a boundary. An example of a sexual boundary could be that you don't, you know, have sex on the first date. Like saying that you won't have sex without a condom is a boundary that you can have a sexual boundary, but someone else saying that they won't use a condom and that's their boundary. Well, you could make the argument that that is their boundary. It's not something they're doing to protect themselves or take care of themselves. It's something that they're doing because they don't want to use a condom. Hopefully this is making sense. Obviously this is a very complicated topic. So I hope I'm doing it justice and you're not leaving this episode being more confused. Also boundaries are coming from the place of wanting connection with someone, wanting to make something work. They're a way that you're taking care of yourself so that you can continue to be in the relationship. This example of boundaries with Jonah Hill is a very clear example of while he kind of says it's his way of wanting to continue to be in the relationship, it is actually a list of demands and things that she needs to do for him to stay in the relationship compared to this is what I need to take care of myself. You need to do this so that I can take care of myself. So that is the big distinction. An example of an emotional boundary, asking for time to cool off after an argument. You could say that that's something you need so that you don't say something you don't mean to. Boundaries also when done correctly are pretty universal. You don't always have different boundaries for different people because it's not about that person. You don't feel comfortable talking about your weight with people. It doesn't mean that you pick and choose certain people to punish and certain people aren't allowed to talk about your weight, but certain people are. It's something you're not comfortable with, so you don't do across the board. And that's why something isn't a boundary if it's just about controlling that specific person. Because it's not universal, it's not something that is just applies to you and it's something you don't talk about or you don't engage with. This is just about trying to make someone else do something or not do something. The other thing that I want to talk about is how on social media, often people phrase boundaries as just you set your limit and then there's a consequence to kind of breaking that limit or breaking your boundary. That can come off as harsh a lot of times if you don't have a conversation with that person, just immediately going into limit and consequence. One thing that a lot of times people will reach out to me on Instagram about is they'll say, someone just set this boundary with me. I had no idea that I was even doing it. And now they're saying, if I do it again, they're walking away. When I hear that, I hear, again, this like harshness, this all or nothing thinking, and there's no space for grace or recognizing intention. Obviously impact matters more than intention, but intention still matters, especially in close relationships. Intention is a huge part of trust and giving grace to people for mistakes allows you to be able to build trust too on both sides. So if we just come at someone with this firm boundary and then a consequence, it can be jarring for a lot of people. And instead, what I recommend is I kind of have a four-part recommendation. I talk about this a lot in my book. If you're interested, I have a whole chapter on boundaries in my book. I have a whole chapter on boundaries in my workbook with tons of worksheets if you're interested in it. But essentially, I have kind of a four-part method where instead of just stating the boundary and stating the limit, I kind of believe in doing two initial steps first. So one thing that can be helpful is acknowledging that this is a new situation for you. So saying something like, hey, mom, I know that I haven't talked to you before, 
about you talking about my weight, but it's something that I'm realizing that I'm uncomfortable with so that they're kind of prepared for the conversation that's going to happen. Then you can kind of understand and acknowledge that they're probably coming from a good place. This is again, where you're like acknowledging that they have good faith because a lot of times too, if you just set the boundary and set the limit, people feel like, well, I didn't mean to, I didn't, that's not my intention. They feel very misunderstood where if you can acknowledge and recognize that they aren't doing this on purpose, they're not doing this to be mean to you or hurt you, and you know that they have good intentions with it, right? Like, I know you're just concerned about my weight, or I know that, you know, you didn't mean it. I know you care about me. It can help soften some of that as well. Then you can set the boundary, and then you can set that limit, but you can also offer an alternative, especially with boundary negotiation. You can, if it isn't a huge all or nothing sort of situation, if it is something you want to extend grace towards, if it's not a firm rule where it can never be done, right? Like if it is a boundary where you're trying to set with your partner that you don't want to go out tonight because you're tired and you need some time for yourself, that's when you're going to want to actually negotiate because it isn't a rule for you that you never want to go out maybe on Fridays. But this Friday, you're really exhausted, so you'd like to offer an alternative. I think people get confused that boundaries aren't internal because how they're framed is that you're saying don't do this or don't say that. But again, it is stemming from you. It's not about what that person is doing. And someone asked me, what's the difference between manipulation and setting a boundary? And the biggest difference between this is that when you're manipulating or controlling someone, you care about getting that person to do what you want no matter what. When you're setting a boundary, you care about taking care of yourself. So a lot of it is intention. And someone also had said, well, if he is saying that his boundary is that he feels insecure in this relationship and he's not gonna date people that make him feel insecure, isn't that a boundary? And you could technically say that that is. The issue is the way that he's framing it, at least out of context. Like I've said a hundred times in this podcast episode, based on the text that I've seen, when someone just phrases it as a boundary and there's no acknowledgement that this is their insecurity or this is something that they're doing to protect themselves and instead are just like, you can't surf, you can't dress this way, you can't be friends with these people. There is no reference or context about where this is coming from and how he's taking care of himself through this. So when people phrase boundaries as just this list of rules and demands, it can be really confusing for the person on the receiving end of it. A boundary is saying, I am going to do certain things to take care of myself, where a demand is, I want you to do certain things to take care of me, to make me feel better. So it's really about the intention. And when people misuse the word boundaries, it can be really confusing because then people feel as though they're doing something wrong and they're hurting someone because there's this whole context online now that if you cross someone's boundaries, you're hurting them. Or if you don't accept their boundaries, you're hurting them. So I think this goes into a broader topic too that I want to touch on, which is all about the rise of therapy speak and how that is negatively impacting us. 
So I'm going to link some articles in the show notes about this stuff. So therapy speak is essentially when someone takes terms from therapy, it used to be called psychobabble, and they misappropriate them or misuse them for their own benefit in some way, or because they don't understand the meaning of them and they accidentally misuse them. So this shows up not just in what we're talking about today, but it also shows up a lot with friendship, but it also applies to other relationships where I we can kind of take any distress or feeling we have about ourselves. And if we feel insecure in our friendships or our relationships, it's because someone's breaking our boundaries. Someone's not doing what we want them to do or someone's disappointing us in some way. And I've seen just this really intense rise in all or nothing thinking where people put so much pressure on these relationships in their life and they feel like someone is either for them or against them. And they're either an amazing person in their life or they don't want them at all and they can't tolerate any ambiguity or give anyone grace or put themselves in their shoes or give empathy to other people because it is all about whether that person is meeting their needs or not. But I think we're so quick these days. I see often all of these intense friendship breakups and these scripts that people are using. There was a therapist who kind of went viral for this very HR-like friendship script about breaking up with someone and people saying they don't have the emotional capacity for them. And this is what I think keeps getting lost in translation is the problem is not that someone has or doesn't have the emotional capacity for a friendship. You may not. Someone, like it is true that you can end up in friendships with people where someone is really demanding or they have very few friends and you are put in a position where you essentially have to meet all of their needs and that's not realistic for you and it's not fair. That being said, just because you're feeling that way doesn't mean that you need a really harsh, complete friendship breakup. And it also doesn't mean that if you can't meet their needs that they should just completely walk away from you too. I think it is this problem where we're becoming more lonely, more isolated, and as a result, we are overly relying on the relationships we do have in our life. And one of the best things I ever learned in therapy from my own therapist like 10 years ago she used to talk about how you can have relationships with different people for different things. You can have a friend who maybe you don't have the deepest conversations with, but that friend loves to travel and you guys travel really well together. You may have a friend who you like certain, you like going to activities with, like you guys have similar hobbies. Maybe you have friends based on the stage of life you're in, like parent friends or that you go on double dates with because they're friends with your partner or you have work friends. It is okay to not have a few people meet all of your needs. I think our expectations on friendships are way too high. And as a result, we then cut people off, I think sometimes, if we can't tolerate that they're not meeting all of our needs. We all have a right to have our needs met, yes. And we don't always have a right to choose who meets those needs. I feel like this is important to say again. We all have a right to have our needs met, but we don't get to decide who meets all of our needs and we can't just have one person meet those needs. My husband meets a lot of my needs, but he is never going to replace mom friends for me and he shouldn't have to. My husband and I are different and he has certain hobbies that I have no interest in participating in and I can't meet that need for him. As a result, it's important for him to go and do that and have other people in his life who can meet that need. The problem is when we start to dictate who meets our needs and puts all of our mental health or all of our satisfaction of life on one person. 
which based on some of these texts, it does seem like that was what was happening. I heard other people say, you know, I'm glad that he's speaking up for what he wants. I'm glad that he's saying that it doesn't work for him if she is wearing certain things or doing certain things. And yes, he has a right to walk away from that relationship if it doesn't work, but it should not have been phrased as these are my boundaries, get in line or we're done. It should have been either some recognition of like, I've changed. I know that I was okay with you being like this when we first dated, but I've changed and it's not okay for me anymore. Can we have a conversation about this? Some sort of taking responsibility. This is where I said, and I forgot to talk about requests. Right? A quest is asserting a want or a need respectfully. It's asking for something and you can also tolerate a denial or a request and you can also negotiate if needed. So he said that he was setting boundaries. What they actually were, were demands. And what I think would have been much more appropriate is if he requested some things. So then she could negotiate and talk to him and they could explore what was going on. I think a big issue too, in regards to relationships and boundaries is that often, you know, people can float in and out of our life. They can be, you know, I've had friends, for example, who I was really close to and then things have changed. Maybe I got married and they didn't or they had a child and I didn't or someone moved. And if it would have been something like, you're abandoning me, you, you know, if I would have reached out to them or they would have reached out to me and it would have been this whole big conversation about abandonment and anger and making people wrong, which a lot of times these boundaries conversations have, right? They're not actually about us. They're not like, hey, my boundary is that I can't maybe be there for you as much as I want to and I love you, but it, it's not something that works for me. It is a demand. It is, you need to do this if you don't we're not friends anymore. If I would have had these really harsh conversations with people or vice versa, we would have had a friendship breakup and we wouldn't ever really be in contact again. And I think that there is so much value in being able to allow friends to kind of come closer and farther apart, depending on what's going on in our lives without this huge drama or explanation or harsh breakup, because you don't know when, you know, I have a friends that I've gotten close to just because we started going to the same workout classes again. And if it would have been something where we wouldn't have kept in touch, or I used to be someone who was really, really obsessed with having a set of friends, having them be my friends, having like a girl gang, quote unquote, and not allowing any ambiguity because I was so insecure about whether people liked me or not. I couldn't tolerate if someone wasn't responding quickly enough to me, or maybe I felt like they pulled away. And instead of maybe recognizing that, maybe having a conversation with them about it, or even just recognizing that maybe we're not as close and I need to be friends with some other people too. And and that's a huge lesson I want to convey in this episode too, that if you have friends that are pulling away or you're not getting your needs met friendship wise, it is a sign that you may need to make some more friends, reach out to acquaintances rather than it being this really harsh black and white. You are my friend. You're not my friend. You either show up for me exactly the way I need you to show up for me or we're done. When our options are only all or nothing, a lot of times we can end up with nothing. And the middle ground is that maybe we don't need everything from one person or a few people. And I look back a lot of times and I wish that I wouldn't have been so harsh. I wish I would have been able to tolerate some of that or been responsible for the fact that maybe this friend that I'm relying on has more friends than me. And it's not that they don't like me. It's that they just have more people in their life. And maybe it's something that I need to also branch out and be supported by more than a few people in my life as well. And I, I look back and I wonder what it would have been like if I had kept some of those relationships and hadn't been so harsh. 
right? Because if we are really over-boundaried or we have tons of rigid boundaries or these really high standards and expectations for everyone in our life and then people can't meet them, we are going to be a lot quicker to abandon those relationships, which will make us more lonely, which leads us with less relationships, which then leads to this cycle of then you, when you do meet someone you like or you've cut someone off, then you're going to even more rely on or put more pressure on another relationship. And I think instead what sometimes we need is more relationships and less. If you listen to episode two, I talked about briefly, I touched on um, a person named Ozzy who was on this show called The Queer Ultimatum Show. Go back and listen to that episode if you're interested. It was all about avoidance. But I think this person was a really good example. They would, when they were triggered or upset, they would just say, I need to remove myself. I need to just self-care, self-care. And I think that's a really good example too of incorrectly using therapy speak, incorrectly using the term self-care as a way to completely avoid hard conversations, to not have to have healthy conflict with people, to be able to only think about yourself. And that is my concern with this increase in therapy speak is I think on some level, because we are inundated all day on social media with ourselves, it is all about us, 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 me, 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 my boundaries, my self-care, my life, my wants, my desires, which I think especially for women like is a good change. I think we were not taught to think about ourselves or what we want, but I think there has been this bit of an overcorrect where we also, if we want to live a fulfilling life, That involves relationships for most of us. And to have fulfilling relationships, we have to think about other people. We have to compromise. We have to be willing to communicate and be realistic with our expectations of other people because nobody is perfect. We are not perfect. We are going to all mess up and make mistakes. And I worry that with all of this intense conversation only focusing on ourselves, we are losing the ability to compromise We are becoming more polarized in our thinking and we are becoming unrealistic about what we need and what we expect in relationships. And I also want to say too, right, there is a reason that clinicians and therapists go to school for a really long time. They go to, they have an internship, they continue with psychoeducation and continuing education throughout their whole career, it's because this stuff is complicated. So I also kind of just want to normalize that because if you're struggling with what a boundary is or you're confused, that's because I think this stuff is complicated and confusing and we act like it's really simple because it's shared on social media. But your mental health is complicated just like your physical health is. And you can have symptoms of something and not have that diagnosis right? You can have headaches and that doesn't mean necessarily that you have the diagnosis of cancer. It's complicated and confusing. And there is literally a joke when you're a therapist in school that when you start learning about the DSM, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, which is what therapists and psychiatrists use to diagnose, there is a joke when you're in school that you will, once you learn about this, think that you have every diagnosis. And What you have to do is learn it and study it more and really put it into practice, not just by reading about it, but by actual clinical work with individual people and seeing how it manifests differently. And that is what people who aren't therapists don't know or don't understand, or it's what individuals who are just reading about what a boundary is don't 
totally understand. And it makes sense because they didn't go to school for it. They're not trained. But I think that is really missing and important because a lot of this stuff is complicated and nuanced and cannot be captured in just a quick little social media post. And no wonder people are misusing the words and language as a result. Why when people start reading way more about mental health, it, ha- it has positive effects. Like we've been talking about, it reduces stigma, it arms people with tools, it supports people who may not have access to therapy, it helps people feel less alone, but it also can cause problems like people thinking that they have more diagnoses than they do. They can over pathologize every little thing and be concerned. That's a huge thing I see in my practice is that people are constantly saying based on often too what the trend is on TikTok or social media, they may think that they have that certain diagnosis and they may not. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying self-diagnosis is BS. I'm not saying people shouldn't do it. I think that there absolutely is value to it. But sometimes I worry we've overcorrected And I think that is the problem with it doesn't always apply to everyone. So if you're listening and you're getting frustrated that I'm saying this because self-diagnosis helped for you, I'm probably not talking about you. I'm talking about the person who scours the internet and is constantly worried that they have some new diagnosis and really, really self-conscious about their worries or their anxieties or their thoughts. And they constantly think they have some new problem or diagnosis or they're constantly thinking everyone around them has a new issue or diagnosis. In addition to us kind of pathologizing ourselves, I think we have started pathologizing the world. That person has trauma, that person's a narcissist, that person is so OCD, you know, all of these terms, again, they're really specific, they're really nuanced. It is why therapists study this for a really long time and continue to study it because it is so complicated and it is not just as simple as checking things off in a box and someone has the disorder or they don't. The context that these things show up really, really matters. I hope that this episode was helpful. I hope that those of you that are in the like, I hate Jonah Hill camp, aren't upset that I, you know, I'm not calling him, that I'm not, that you don't feel like I'm not being harsh enough. And those of you that are in the opposite camp aren't upset that I, um, you know, I'm not talking about Sarah and her, her part in this or whatever. I think I'm not interested in who's right and who's wrong in this situation. I'm interested in the misuse of the word boundary and just the misuse of therapy speak. And I think also just how some of this social media therapy world is really negatively impacting us. And I hope that this episode gives you some ideas and insight so that you can be a better informed consumer of all this. Because my guess is if you're listening to this podcast, you are interested in therapy in some capacity. And I know that I'm not the exception. I know that I'm sure I have, I know I have, and I will make mistakes in the future. And I try my absolute best to bring as much nuance as possible. That's why I'm doing this podcast. But nuance cannot always be captured. Sometimes the nuance has to go in the caption, which people don't read and see. And sometimes I don't have time to go into every single caveat. So I hope that you give me the benefit of the doubt when I'm talking about this. And as a result, I I will give you all the benefit of the doubt and we'll listen if there is feedback that you have for me after listening. Um, But this is my perspective. This is what I thought of as a licensed therapist who is on social media and is concerned about therapy speak. So thanks so much for joining. If you like this episode or the podcast, consider sharing it with someone or leaving a review so that other people can find it. I'll see y'all next week. 
Thanks for listening. To suggest an episode topic or support my work, visit amandaewhite.com. If you're interested in getting therapy from my practice, visit therapyforwomencenter.com. We're based in Philadelphia, but we have therapists serving 27 states across the country. 